Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. All right, today I'm going to humbly try to relay the story of Audie Murphy. Second Lieutenant Audie Murphy, at the time of his Medal of Honor citation, so I'm going to uh, often refer to him as a second lieutenant, uh, probably to avoid having to go rank to rank to rank, as you'll hear why in a second, we might just go with Audie Murphy, which is a pretty well-known name in and out of the United States military today. Audie Murphy would go on to be the most decorated American soldier of World War II. The final award and the, the feather in his cap would be the Medal of Honor, the actions that we're going to talk about today. And we'll, we'll talk about a little bit of the historical context of the battle that he was fighting in. But I mean, there's, there's movies to be made about this man. There's books written. There's a heck of a history of Audie Murphy that we can only scratch the surface of today or we'll only be able to scratch the surface of today. So Murphy started out by, there was something that caught my eye in doing some research here. It talks about how he tried to enlist after Pearl Harbor, but it said he was too young and underweight. He was 16. Now there's plenty of folks that forged their paperwork to get into the service. Um, and he did that at the age of 17. I guess he looked old enough at 17, didn't look old enough at 16. Um, anyways, I thought it was funny that they said he was underage and underweight as though one or the other would be okay, but put those together and it's not okay. I'm pretty sure most you know, enlistment offices were turning people away if they didn't meet the criteria. It's, it's funny to think of, well, if only I was a little heavier, I could enlist at 16, but must have been just, I mean, just a little guy at that point. But he's able to fake some documents and, uh, and joins the military at 17. He's got a quick career. He, he does well quickly after joining the military. So he, he ends up in the Mediterranean theater of operations during World War II. And he is a, on, on 30 June, 1942, he's a private. He will, over the course of about a year, make his way from private to private first class to corporal, then an NCO, he'll be promoted to sergeant, then to staff sergeant. He makes staff sergeant after about a year and a half in the service. Now, things were moving quickly because of wartime. That's fast. That's, um, that's really fast. It's impressive. But so there's, there's the wartime nature of promotions are happening quicker because you have to fill the ranks. But also, I think you can see if you just stop there, you say there's probably something about this guy. There's some sort of leadership ability that is, is allowing him to earn the respect and trust of his men and his superiors to where he keeps getting promoted. Doesn't stop there. To, I'm going I'm to recap the entire thing in terms of his rank structure, and we'll dive in a little further to some other areas. But here is a battlefield commission uh, during World War II to second lieutenant. And but before the end of the war, he is promoted to first lieutenant. He leaves the service as a first lieutenant and enters the reserves. A few years later, after World War II, enters the Texas Army National Guard as a captain. And before he leaves service in 1969, he is promoted to major. So Audie Murphy, private to staff sergeant, second lieutenant to major. Pretty 
wide range of ranks in the U.S. Army. His decorations would include three Purple Hearts, a Distinguished Service Cross, two Silver Stars, a Legion of Merit, and two Bronze Stars with V device. The V device stands for Valor. So two more Valor Awards and a Medal of Honor. His Medal of Honor citation would take place during the battle for the Colmar Pocket. Um, this was similar to, it's nearing the end of World War II. You know, we really weren't fighting on the European continent that long. When we think of World War II spanning, I mean, depending on when you want to say it started, is it six years, seven years? I mean, you can kind of stretch it out and... Yeah, we had, of course, we were engaged in the Pacific earlier. We were engaged in North Africa and Italy. But remember, we hit the beaches in June 1944. The The German surrender would be in May of 1945. I mean, we just weren't on the European continent fighting for all that long. On the European continent, I should say that differently. In France and Belgium and Germany, there wasn't, there, there weren't, the United States was not engaged in years and years of combat. So when you hear... You know, June 26, 1945, the date that Audie Murphy would receive his Medal of Honor, or the action for which he'd be awarded the Medal of Honor, that's that's about halfway through U.S. engagement on in France. If you take June to May, January, right about in the middle. Anyways, the time of this battle, there were two operations that were coming to a close. And we have the luxury now to look back and say those were the final German thrusts. Those are the last two major attempts, the last two real attempts, maybe, that the Germans had to win the war. The most commonly known is the Battle of the Bulge that took place between December and January 1945, a little closer to Belgium, further north um, across the front. And then there was Operation Nordwind. This was also a German counterattack, pushing back into the Alsace region in northeastern France, southwestern Germany, an area that the Germans considered their considered a part of their territory. So this was French, French under French control. Germans took it at the start of the war, but it was in it was in that category where there was a lot of thought that this was history, a lot of thought that this rightfully belonged to Germany. There were other territories like. Nobody thought that Normandy belonged to the Germans. That wasn't like a historical precedent. Alsace and Lorraine, some of these regions, the Germans were going to fight a little bit harder because it was a little more ingrained that these were should be part of their homeland. Operation Nordwind is going to push in it's going to push into Alsace region, and this is the area that there's going to actually going to be a pretty substantial French force fighting, as well as a good sized. American force, including the 3rd Infantry Division, specifically 1st Battalion of the 15th Infantry Regiment, a member of which is Lieutenant Howdy Murphy. Both of these operations, Nordwind and the Battle of the Bulge, would take place around the same time. They were designed to push back, really stop and push back the Allied advance. They both would end, as we look back today, we have the luxury of saying there's a the battle ended there. You don't know that when you're on the ground. And we can say right now that Battle of the Bulge and the Battle of Battle of the Bulge and Operation Nordwind came to a close on January 25th, 1945. 
The soldiers on the ground didn't know that. And of course, that doesn't mean that everybody went back home and the war was over. It just meant that little specific conflict, if we can wrap it up into something so we can talk about it, we're going to put that date on it. That date, January 25th, 1945, Audie Murphy is wounded near Holtzweer, France. Just right on the border. I mean, they're coming right in near um, the German border. So you're going to hear names that sound pretty German. He's wounded in both legs. His company has taken pretty heavy casualties. So by the time he is placed in command, I'm not even sure he necessarily was placed in command. He's the only officer in Bravo Company. And there's 18 men. So call it what you will. Placed in command, assumes command. He's the only guy. Audie Murphy is the commander of Bravo Company 115 Infantry. Um, and they are facing a pretty substantial German counterattack through the town of Holtzweer. I'm going to struggle saying that. As he sees the attack coming in, he readies his men. They're going to do what they can for as long as they can to defend against this. Right away, an American tank destroyer is hit and starts burning. The tank destroyers are kind of interesting to avoid going down a rabbit hole here. They were, if you look at them, if you, you know, a quick picture of a tank destroyer and you pull it down, you're going to say it's a tank. It looks very similar to a tank. It's on a tank chassis. It has the same barrel for a long time that American tanks would have. What it's designed to do, the difference between a tank and a tank destroyer is twofold. The tank destroyer has a little lighter armor. It's designed to go faster, and you'll see that it doesn't have a cover over the top. It's not completely enclosed. A tank is completely enclosed and is slower and has heavier armor. The way these two are supposed to be used is tanks were exploitation. Tanks broke through the enemy lines and pushed through. That's how they were designed to be used in World War I. That's how the Germans used them during all their blitzkrieg operations. That was the point of tanks. At this point, doctrine was... Tanks are the New Age cavalry. They break through the lines and push forward and exploit. So they needed to be protected on all sides. Tank destroyers were designed to be more reactionary and set in defensive positions and counter the thrust from the enemy tanks. So essentially the, the tank destroyers would be held more in reserve and camouflaged or they were, they were faster so they could move up to the point of attack and stop the enemy tanks from exploiting their breakthrough. That was the main difference between tanks and tank destroyers. Tanks and tank destroyers. But again, side by side, they look pretty similar. There's just a few important differences. There's a tank destroyer nearby, but it is hit right away. Hit, destroyed, disabled right away. So Murphy is, is defending this area with his rifle against the attacking enemy infantry and tanks, at least six tanks moving on their position. He's using his rifle and calling in artillery strikes. There's some cloud cover, so aircraft can't get in, but he can, to the best of his ability, start directing artillery on the approaching enemy soldiers, and he does that. Eventually, they get closer. The, the artillery is only doing so much. So Murphy understands, he views this as a, um, I don't want to say lost cause, but they're about to be overrun. He orders his men back into the tree line, gives them some degree of cover, Tells him to get back, take cover, and you know a, a, a small retreat. While he climbs atop the tank destroyer, remember it's disabled and doesn't work, but there's a 50 caliber machine gun sitting on top. You know, unlike a tank where everybody is inside the tank, the tank destroyer 50 caliber machine gun is just sitting up top in exposed position. 
which means that when Audie Murphy mans this 50 caliber machine gun and starts laying fire into the approaching German soldiers, he's fully exposed. He's not behind any sort of cover, except for a, a rod holding up the machine gun, you know, two inches wide. He stands atop that tank destroyer and fires box after box after box of 50 caliber machine gun rounds into the advancing enemy soldiers. So distracting the German tanks and the infantry that he delays them enough to where the cloud cover opens a little bit and American planes dive bombers can start coming in and harassing the tanks. The battle shifted. Murphy in his stand of nearly an hour at that machine gun being the only thing the Germans were shooting at killed or wounded at least 50 enemy attackers. As the clouds lifted, the tanks became more exposed. Murphy bought enough time, not knowing it, thinking that this was just the last stand. He bought enough time for those, for those that aircraft to come on station and kind of revert the momentum of the battle. Having been wounded in his leg, having been wounded the day prior in both legs, and now wounded this day again in a leg, he goes back and gets his guys and pushes forward on the counterattack to remove the enemy from the town. For that, for standing his ground, being the one-man defense to push the enemy back, one against 50-plus and tanks. How about one against six tanks, just that alone? Then, Second Lieutenant Audie Murphy would be awarded the Medal of Honor. It would be his highest decoration. It would be his last decoration for valor in the war. It's an incredible story. Um, it's interesting to think about that time in the war. You know, we, as we sit here, we can say, well, these, you know, the Germans were finished. Easy to say from 2020, sitting in my house. A little harder to say when you're facing the brunt of a German assault than in France. And I, I can pretty confidently say that Audie Murphy and his men didn't think the Germans were finished when they were coming across that plane, firing um, directly at his position. That wouldn't look like a finished enemy to me. So he stayed on his gun, pushed that entire attack back, an hour exposed. Everybody focused just on him an hour, taking the fire. So Audie Murphy would survive the war. One of the craziest things in the Audie Murphy, in the story of Audie Murphy, is not only did he receive these Valor Awards, but he survived the war. All too often, I mean, just the Medal of Honor by itself, most of these folks don't survive. Then you start looking at Distinguished Service Cross recipients. Most of them don't survive. I mean, how many times did this guy put himself in do-or-die situations and make it out? A lot is the answer. Came home and would go on to do all sorts of other things. He, he uh, served in a handful of movies, broke books, and uh, continued service to the military. Some little breaks here and there, but uh, wrapped up his time with the Texas National Guard. And ended as a major. Unfortunately, he would die in a plane crash, I believe, age of 45. So for all he did in World War II and all the risk he took, certainly a man taken too early, but did his part to bring home untold number of his men time and time again. That's primarily what these Valor Awards are for, is for taking action that saved the lives of those in his command. 
I hope we at least got a little bit of an idea of what, of the story of second Lieutenant Audie Murphy, but it's worth looking up. It's a long read. There's a ton of information here and you can, you can get into every one of his awards. It's just incredible. But second Lieutenant Audie Murphy awarded the medal of honor for actions on on January 26th, 1945, right at the, right at the tail end of operation Nordwind in World War II. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.